Hi, everybody. Mike Hancock here, and welcome to uh, today's what we call intelligence update. And we've got a highly intelligent being on the other end of the line from Marimbula in Australia, Rick Schnabel. And uh, Rick's been a friend of mine for, for many years. I think we go a long way back. I think we're the same age, to be quite honest, uh, Rick. So um, I'm not sure who's older, maybe you or me, by a couple of months. But uh, Rick, on joining us on the call today, we've got people, I see Spain on the call, we've got uh, South Africa, I just saw the Netherlands check in, uh, Dubai's on the call, we've got Australia, of course, New Zealand on the call, and Ireland. So you've got quite a few um, different places that you're going to be sharing with today. Now, when I first met Rick, uh, he was uh, an NLP expert, which and one of the early people who really did study and understand neuro-linguistic programming at a very, very deep level. So I'm excited to have you on the call today. Rick, how you been? I've been very, very well. Very, very good. That's good. Uh, before we jump into the questions and our topics today, I just wanted to, to ask you about this. I followed with um, concern more than interest, concern your journey through the bushfires in Australia, what was it, the start of 2019, I think? And, yeah. um, and you really had a tough time there. You'd uh, relocated your family um, a couple of years before that out of Melbourne and, you know, basically semi-retired to the coast and done a really, made a really wise move that I thought at the time, I remember speaking to you a couple of times over then. And then came the bushfires. Tell me a little bit about your experience there. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it's, it's like a piece of beauty, really, when, when you get challenge. And, you know, in some cases, many people had incredible tragedies run through their lives. When this fire, we could actually, we could actually see it from our home. And, you know, I can remember it was leading up to my birthday and, uh, you know, we were going to have um, a, a big jam on our balcony. So we had, you know, all the musos in the area, you know, going to come around. And so we were looking for this great night and it was pensive because you started to already smell the smoke going through the, through the air and you could see this glow. And uh, it, was getting, it was getting more and more precarious. But, you know, it's one of those things that I digitised my entire life. Like I can remember staying up till about 4 a.m. in the morning just digitizing all these documents. And I remember it got very, very close. And, you know, I said to the family, I said, what do you guys want to do? I said, look, I'm, I think I'm crazy enough to stay and defend, but what do you guys want to do? And they all said that they really wanted to go. So what we did is we packed up everything. We took, um, you know, all our, you know, real personal possessions, I guess. Um, and it was that one choice. I remember looking at all my guitars thinking, okay, you can come, you can come. Oh my God, the Gibson, you're just going to have to burn. No, and you can't do that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> but, Fenders, you know, yes, but Gibsons, no. <laughs> well, I was the opposite. I was the opposite. I, w I had my Fender Tally, um, you know, and, and I actually just got that for my birthday. And I thought that's got to come with us. And so it, it makes you really selective, I think. And uh, you saw the community come together as well in, in that particular time. We were lucky by probably about eight hours, I think, 
where it would have been one more strong northerly wind and it would have just come, come right over our house and we would have lost everything. But it turned around and then all of a sudden it rained and, you know, it was a blessing for a lot of people. But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those times where you really look at your life and think to yourself, what is really critical, what's important and what's not important? That's why I wanted to bring it up as a start to this because, you know, you are... You know, your background is is really an understanding mindset in people. You're really somebody who um, speaks out for freedom. You're a, you're a freedom entrepreneur. And freedom is one of the three things that we do for our clients. So, you know, our mandate for people is prosperity, freedom, and purpose. So you sit right in the freedom zone. Yeah. But I doubt anybody has really had to come to the point where they've had to choose what has to burn and what gets saved. And it's a very fascinating mindset. And that's why I want to talk to you about it. I remember in uh, my very first long-term relationship when I left, um, I packed up all the guitars, didn't leave one in the back of my <laughs> car. That was jam-packed to the top. Um, yeah. Took whatever clothes could fit around them and left. And everything else stayed, all the, all the other toys that I had and you know, that was the days when I had a lot of toys. So, um, you know, that was in the days when I was materially focused. And it was really interesting that after like a couple of months, there was not one thing I could even remember really owning sort of that, that I cared about. But guitars were the most important thing. So um, once you'd done that and the family had done that, what was the process then like um, returning back home afterwards and realizing that everything was basically still there? Um, well, I, I guess that the thing was, th this was part, I think, for me, and uh, I think my family, it was it was the whole digitization thing, the whole looking at our lives and thinking to ourselves, you know, are those photos really, really important? Or are they okay, just to digitally keep them, you know, so we can still look at them, print them out, do all that sort of stuff. And I found myself through that particular time becoming far less like you, materialistic. You know, mm. so I started to value more the, the sort of connections that you had with people. And I valued more the opportunities of creating those special experiences. But I, I think to some degree, it also built into me my deeper level purpose. And I realized that, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's inevitable. We're all just going to disappear, depart from Earth at some point. And I started to think very much more about, actually, you can remember this. This is, I'm going back to Bali. Can you remember Entrepreneur Business School where, yep. where we were playing there? And we were asked those three questions, you know, how many people were born over the last thousand yep. years in order for you to be here? The second question was, you know, what legacy did they leave? And the third question was, what legacy will you leave? And I think that and the bushfires and all of the stuff that had gone on made me realise that I really wanted to get focused on leaving my legacy more in a digital form than anything. And I thought the best thing that I could ever leave is all the things that I've learned in my life that's really propelled my life and made my life easier and freer and more joyful. Well, that's a beautiful place to start. And I, and you're so right. I mean, I remember when we sold our place in Auckland a, a few years back and put a lot of stuff in storage, well, actually everything, 
um, the storage unit was packed to the to the the nines. And then I remember going back there six months la later and saying, "Oh, let's go check out the story storage." And before we got there, Landy, my partner, said to me, "Mike, name three things that are in storage." I said, "My guitars." She said, "Okay, what else?" I said, "I've got a keyboard." She said, "Okay, what else?" I said, "I think there's a fridge." She said, "What else?" And I went blank. She said, "Everything else can go." Yeah. Right. And probably you should get rid of the fridge as well. And, uh, you know, 90% of the stuff went, you know, I did find a few other things that I wanted, but 90% of it went. And on our last trip there, just before COVID, I literally, I digitized probably um, 500 out of 20,000 photos and threw the rest out. So I totally agree with you on that. We've got Rick Schnabel with us today and uh, a fascinating and, and fabulous individual. Um, somebody I've known for a very, very long time as well. Rick, tell me what freedom means to you um, as a sort of opening up to this discussion on freedom today. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess I'll, I'll go back to explain it. You know, I, I remember for me personally, you know, I came from a very poor family with, um, you know, migrant type attitude. They, they, they were courageous. They migrated over to Australia uh, I was then born and, you know, they had been, you know, they went through the Second World War, they went through uh, a depression and they very much had, you know, what we would classify as a poverty mentality. So I, of course, imbibed that. It became part of me and it was everything that I did in my life. And I saw so many people who were financially successful in their lives and, that became my very much my focus. I was very money driven, you know, very shallow in, in a lot of senses in the early part of my transformational journey. But the thing that I, I learned is I had many mentors. I was doing a huge amount of neurolinguistic programming work on myself, changing my beliefs and so forth. And all of a sudden, money was coming from everywhere. And, and I got absolutely everything I ever wanted. You know, I was a multi best-selling author. I was a speaker. I was a trainer. I was a coach and I was very successful at all of these things. And the mentors that I was working with were really busy. They were multi-millionaires, but really busy. Trying to get time with them was really challenging. And I remember um, I was coaching in a clinic. i jumped on a in a cab raced off to sit you know to go to sydney on a flight to do a talk they were announcing me as i raced into the room i got up on stage did my talk then got off stage shook a few hands said hello jumped back in a cab went back on the plane and i can remember the air crew the lady was opposite me and uh, and she said um you really need to say thank you to the gentleman and the lady next to you and I said, why is that? She said, oh, my God, you, you look so tired. You slept on his shoulder and then you slept on her shoulder for part of the flight. <laughs> and I was, I was so tired. And, and I thought that what I have was I have exactly what my mentors have. And that was, you know, lots of money was coming into my life, but I had no time. You know, uh, for me, like time for Rick Schnabel was void there was none of that and it was all busy 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 and i thought to myself that the thing that i do have is i have what most people would describe as success and i went with this model 
but I didn't have any freedom at all. And I was on seven days a week, 356 days a year. And I was always writing another book or always doing another talk or doing another training. And, and then in 2012, I looked at our lives and we were, you know, prior to that point, we were 100% analog. And uh, I had to show up for everything to get paid. And I thought, I want to change this game. And of course, that's when we made the decision to move out of a big city and move to Marimbula and, and I wanted my life back. And so we went through our entire world and said, can we get ourselves to a point that we could almost be, you know, 60 to 80% digital, you know, where we could live anywhere in the world, work from anywhere in the world without, you know, having to show up all the time and, Freedom to me, I think, is really living a rich life because so many people have got a lot of money but no freedom. Absolutely. And I wanted freedom. And freedom to me means being able to make choices that, you know, give you joy rather than feeling you have to show up to, you know, to fill the coffers or make ends meet, those sorts of things. And I'm glad I said goodbye to that life because it was nuts. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've been there, um, so I, I fully understand it. And, you know, we work four days a week now and we probably have eight weeks a year off. And I think our clients, many of whom are on this call, think we don't do much at all. But, you know, when we work, we work and we don't mess around. Yeah. And so, um, and I, I know you're very much the same. But, you know, so I guess you got that, that, um, that mindset that you didn't want to be like your parents. But, you know, if you could give the listeners sort of one mindset hack to get them on a path to creating that freedom lifestyle, what would be the sort of top of mind thing that comes up? Well, I think, I think the one mindset hack is largely based on our questions, the questions that we ask ourselves. What I was asking myself for many, many years is how can I be financially successful? So, of course, I found my mentors, and I followed exactly what they did and ended up with the sort of lives that they had. So I was hugely busy and it was crazy. But I then asked myself a different question. How can I work three days a week and actually make more than I make now? And so everything started to focus very much on strategies to make that a reality. So it was a much better question and it was certainly a much better outcome. But the truth is I'm a big believer of strategies and mindset. If you really master those two things, you've got it made. You know, you've got to know what sort of mindset you really need in order to create the life that you want. And so your beliefs have to be congruent with that. Your values have to be congruent with that. Your neural patterns have to be congruent with that. Your behaviors, of course, are the outcomes of all of that. And certainly then you've got to have really good strategies that actually really get you there. So I really think it's ask yourself the right question to create the, what you think is the right life. Yeah, well, the quality of life comes down to the quality of your question. So, uh, you, you, you know, you're speaking my truth there. And it's interesting, Rick, because just right at the moment, 
um, we've got a survey going out to a lot of our newer clients. And, you know, we do this every once in a while to make sure we're doing okay. Last time we surveyed them, um, 75% of them had increased sales in the first 12 months with us with an average increase of 76%. At the moment where it sits, and I'm not saying it'll end up here, at the moment, we've got a 100% increase in sales with an average of about 130%. Um, in the first 12 months. Now, I look at that, obviously, I'm very pleased about that. But I also know, and I'm saying this because I've got some, you know, longer term clients on, on this call as well, that they're still working really hard, a lot of those people. Like, yeah. you know, um, I remember, and I'm looking at one person's name on, on, on the screen here. And I remember when, when I said, why do you want to become a client of ours? He said, well, I want to be like you guys. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, he's almost there. He's almost there, I think. You know, he's built his income fantastically over the last few years. Um, his influence has gone up. He's got clients internationally now and all of those sort of things, but still working very, very hard. Um, what would be sort of one tip that you could give him in specific uh, before I move on to my next actual question? So this one's for him. He knows who he is. So basically, he's he's really really busy, and he's he's at a point where he's just at full capacity. I would say one of the things I think is really really key is work out what your key drivers are, and focus on your key drivers. Like for example, I hear so many people. I coach a lot of coaches, and you know quite often you know they're saying, Rick, how do you get all your clients? How do you do that? And then I'll say, what are you doing right now? And they'll say, well, I'm posting every day on Facebook. I'm running Facebook ads. I'm doing videos. I'm writing my book. I'm da 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 and, and so forth. And off they go. But I see so many trying to do everything. And they really don't do any one of them at a masterful level. They kind of, you know what it's like. You, you learn something new. And you become okay at it and you become average at it. But if you keep focusing on it, keep looking for what are the key drivers in that thing. Um, like I've got one client who's a YouTube legend. He's got millions and millions of people who basically subscribe to him. And, you know, he makes millions of dollars, you know, on YouTube. When he first started, when we first started coaching, I remember he would make, about $1.2 million annually. Now he almost makes that a month. And the thing is that he's mastered the YouTube game. You know, that's what is really his mastery. And I found too that my game was the speaking game. Like every time, you know, I, I analyzed my entire behaviors and I found that every time I got up on a stage, my, inc my income spiked, you know, it was a big spike. Yep. And so what I did is I just focused on that. Sure, I did a few YouTubes and things like that as well, but focused mainly on the key driver. And the key driver was public speaking and aiming to get on many stages over the year. And what would happen is all of a sudden, you know, there'd be this massive income surge every time I did it. So what I would suggest to him is work out what is really working for him. You know, what, where are the areas that 
He's making the biggest amount of income surges and focus on really mastering that game, you know, and get beyond the average. Start now getting to, you know, really the subtleties, you know, what do you do in order to make that work? Yeah, very good. And I, I think spot on, in fact, I mean, we really micro study where our business comes from. So for instance, stages is, is one of our main ones. And I know if I have an audience less than 100 people, Rick, that uh, we average $445 per seat in revenue over the next 12 months from, from yep. purchases from that group. We've studied it for years. We know that number backwards. And I think this is really important. Now, when we started talking today, it's really fun talking to you because I, I haven't done this with you on this format for quite a while. So I'm really in interested in your responses and how they've changed and morphed over the years. But you mentioned the word destiny. I'm a, I love that word. Um, you know, uh, I think it's a fantastic word. But what does that mean to you? And why is it such a strong calling for you? Um, I, I find that I would prefer to live a life of purpose and a life of, life of meaning than just be successful at something or, you know, just do what everyone else thinks you should do, must do, have to do. And, and, and I see destiny as that element that really gives you a deep level purpose. For example, I was helping one of my students this morning and she just needed a few little tweaks to really get things rocking and rolling. And she said to me, she said, gee, you, you really know your stuff. And I said, well, this is the longest career I've ever had. You know, I've now <laughs> been doing this for almost 20 years now. And the, the reason I, I do it and I want to keep doing it for another 20 years, maybe even more, is because I love what I do. I really enjoy what I do. And I feel like it's my purpose. It's my destiny. It's, it's who I am. It's, it's almost who I believe I was born to become. And it's that, it's that drive. It's like that internal drive. No one kicks me up the butt and says, do some research on neurology. You know, uh, do some research on how do you get a person from A to B, you know, when they've got this problem or that problem. Um, every time I write a new book, I love the research part of it, you know, where you're working off your base knowledge and you go, let's go deeper. Let's start researching from the metaphysical angle or the psychology angle or the, you know, or the science angle. And, you know, you, you dive deep because it's your destiny. You feel that it's really your destiny. It's, it's your calling. No, I, it's, it's beautiful that you say that. And let's, if we look at the people that are on this call, you know, we've got a, We've got a range of clients on this call. Um, from our perspective, Rick, we've got people who are very new. I'm, I'm, you know, looking at one or two of them now who are new to us, and we've got people who have been around a long time. So, if you've got sort of like three questions or even a couple of questions that can help people understand their destiny a little bit more, um, what would they be? I I find that there are what, who, and how question, and. Right. You know, for example, um, it's great with hindsight, by the way. You know, as you're going on the journey, 
you know, you fumble around and you kind of find your space. But now that I've found my space and have for the last 20 or so years, it's very easy now to teach and say, hey, this is how you do it. But it's a what question you begin from. And the what question essentially, I find, is whenever I'm working with someone and if they say, Rick, you know, how do you find your destiny? Usually what I'll do is I'll ask them, what is the biggest challenge that you seem to be facing on a regular basis? Or what's the one that hurts the most or what has the biggest pain point? And, you know, what you often find in that it is it's almost like I believe. Now, by the way, this is just my belief system. But I believe that we are almost encoded with a challenge or given a challenge of birth that says, this is going to be your biggest challenge. Your life's mission, should you accept it, is to move through that challenge. So for me, it was, um, you know, coming from a poverty, you know, parenting, a poverty mindset. And so I don't believe it was my ultimate destiny to show people how to make more money, but it became my thing in the early days. I was helping lots and lots of people to increase their incomes. And that was my big focus. But I believe that what my real destiny is, is to teach people how to get out of the illusion game, out of the trap of their own thinking. And it was to teach people how to think differently so that they could create a new reality. Because let's be honest. How we think determines what we do. And if you change how you think, you can do new things. Like, like a belief system is like I see it as an on and off button. If you believe that you could become a multimillionaire, then you'll won't necessarily mean you're going to get there, but it means that you're going to give it a damn good shot. But if you don't believe that's possible for you, you'll never, ever even journey down that path. So the most important thing is really what is the first question? What is the biggest challenge that I've faced in my life? So that's where I would start. Right. The next question I would ask is who? Who really inspires you? And I'll use myself as an example. Walt Disney was one of my greatest inspirators. He was a guy that I love because he thought big. I love because he, he created things, just created things through creativity. And he literally created his entire income. Like I heard recently, and I don't quote me on the figure, but during COVID, I heard that Disney World uh, had lost something like $83 billion. Now, that's what they lost. So it gives you a sense of the scope of that as a business. Walt Disney created that. And the greatest thing is your next possibility could be your next creation. Like I created Life Beyond Limits. It, it started from nothing. And now it's become a transformational company, but it started from nothing. So the next is who inspires you? So it often gives you a sense of your how, you know, how you may do your destiny. So for me, 
I found that creativity is fantastic. If, if I've ever wanted more income, it's really easy. I just create something new and put it out there. You know, when COVID hit, we had a whole bunch of our students who said, please, please show us how to do online courses. You know, show us how you've been making money over all these years with online because we can't go out and teach. We can't, you know, we're in lockdown. So we created a program called Income Incubator, you know, teaching people how to go from, you know, from woe to go, you know, where they have no idea how to create online courses to actually making money. We had a grandmother who was technical, technically phobic. And she told me today she's got six and a half thousand students in her program now. And she went from zero. So the next is how. Now, the how is eliciting your genius, often through the people who inspire you. And so, so when, you, when you get a sense of your what, your who, and then, of course, how you're going to create your destiny, then really master that game. You know, get in there and build your skill if you need more skill. Change your mindset if you need to think differently, you know, but most of all, calibrate on your behavior. If you're not doing anything, then all of that amounts to naught. So you need to change how you think so you start doing the stuff that's really going to create the life that you really ultimately want. So it's really a what, a who, and a how. Very, very good. And I hope for, hopefully everybody's written that down because that's some real genius there, Rick. Thank you so much. I've Thank come you. across a lot of people recently, and when I say a lot, you know, it might be five, but, uh, you know, I always notice patterns when a pattern starts to shift, you know, when something starts to shift, there's a reason for it. And I wanted to get your insight on this before, um, before we go on to the, the next question I've really got for you, which I, I want to shift state a little bit. But um, what I've noticed in this pattern is that there's a lot of people who are really struggling to move from their current state to where they want to go because they're already spending money to be in their current state. And I'll give you a specific example. Um, I was talking to an accountant recently who's got a brand specialist and a digital marketing specialist at the moment. And they're spending probably, I don't know. 2000 Australian dollars a month at the moment, rebuilding their brand and rebuilding their digital marketing. I had a look at it. It's not going to get them anywhere. Um, you know, it's really not. It's like a sea of sameness. So, but I've seen that recently and it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I sort of said to this guy, because I'm very straightforward as, as people on this call know, I said, you know, it looks all very nice, but it's not going to get you anything. It's actually just mediocre. Um, you look like, another version of a polished accountant in the marketplace and I can't see anything there that's going to bring in clients. Yes, yes, he says, but I'm already committed to it and I think I need to go the yard on this one. So I've seen that quite a bit. I just got, uh, I just saw another one from somebody in New Zealand actually that she's going at, with what she got because she feels she's committed to it. You know, what's your opinion on that and, uh, and where are people's mindsets at when they think that? I, I, think, I think people more than ever love patterns, you know, me included. We, we all love patterns because when we can get in a pattern, 
it's easy. We don't have to think anymore. You know, we're just in a routine of a pattern. And the I can recall when I was getting mentoring, you know, I invested big, big money and a lot of times with mentors in my life because I got sick and tired of trying to fumble my way, trying to find things, particularly with pseudo experts. I decided I wanted to work with people who actually it was obvious that they were experts. They were really, really good at what they did. But the thing that I found was at first, um, I felt, I'll be open and honest with you, I felt intimidated. I felt small, you know, I felt tiny. And I, you know, the money I was making and the, the awareness that I had created was nothing in proportion to my mentors at the time. And so it was hard when they were telling me to do things. Um, you know, I can recall one of my mentors, you know, said to me, you know, hey, what's your, your key driver is public speaking. You're, you're very good at it. You know, I've never seen anyone engage an audience like you do. You know, why don't you do it more? And I said, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. And he said to me, he said, Rick, I'm not an entertainer. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, every time we get together, you sit there and you take lots of notes. And I feel like I'm telling you the same <laughs> thing. You know, and he said, I want application. And he said, you know, as well as I know, you need to get up on stages more. When are you going to do that? And I said, okay, this month I'm going to organize an event myself and I'll get up on stage. And he said, awesome. He said, so this month and, you know, put the actual time measure on me. So what I did, it was the very first time that I got up on a stage and at that time, you know, I was teaching neuro-linguistic programming, I was coaching. So they were the only things that I really had to sell. So I promoted them and I made in one hour what I had made in the three months prior. So all of a sudden, I, all of, it, it was like something popped in my brain. I went, oh, my God, I was so scared of the fact that I'd go up on stage and I wouldn't be able to replicate what I had done in that moment. So I did it again, but this time I made a whole year's income in one talk. And it was kind of like once, once I'd done that, I could never, ever, ever go back again. I could never go back to working so hard for so little. And I realized that was my key driver. That was my thing. And it took a lot of courage and, and, and I guess a, a little bit about, you know, sucking it up and, and really having to, you know, deal with a level of, let's call it shame. Um, and by the way, I've heard that word so many times in my coaching over the last couple of weeks. And I keep, as I tell my clients, shame has no purpose. There is no purpose for shame. So forget shame and, you know, just work with your mentors, work with people who are really good at what they do and be okay with the fact that they're doing better than you. And, you know, I think if anything, one of the things that I've been 
with me and my coach that I've been doing a lot of lot on is getting rid of that ego, getting yep. rid of that that one that goes, oh my God, I feel so small. You know, if you hear yourself talking like that, shut it up. Um, because there's really be okay where you are, be okay that you know you're working with great people to take you to great places and and be fine with that. Um, but sometimes I think we get into this idea that we're less or, you know, we're not as good, you know, and, and that's what you use your coach for. Get rid of all those programs, you know, so you're not saying that in your head anymore. You know, these, these successful people are just as good as you. And, you know, they're, you know, I found a lot of wonderful, nice, helpful people that don't judge you. No, that's right. And I think that's the thing is that once you start seeking out the mentors like that at that level, you've just got to go to that level and you've got to make sure. I loved your word pseudo-mentors. And unfortunately, with all the social media and fake news and everything, there's a gazillion pseudo-mentors out there for people. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's it's really up to people to, to, to look into their hearts to find the right people. There's no, no doubt about that. But then the people on this call have already done that, so we don't have to worry about them. It's for the others. So, Rick, tell me, if somebody's stuck in a job or even a business, now, you've probably experienced this a lot yourself. People fall into businesses. They sort yeah. of came out of a corporate. They go, oh, what, I, what can I do now? I don't want to work in a company again or I can't or whatever. So they start their own business. They use some skills that they've got there. Now it's three, five, eight, ten years down the track and they're sort of grinding their way out of bed every day going, is this what I even want to do with my life? And they know it's not. Um, what's the process, the simple Rick Schnabel process for transitioning from where you don't want to be to where you really want to be? Yeah, okay. Um, I, I guess to start... I'll take you back to, to my journey. Um, my first journey was as a coach. And I can remember I was working for News Limited. I was working in marketing. And uh, I had a journalist who had just done this story on this new industry that was coming into Australia called life coaching. And she did the, she did the story. She did the interview. And she marched straight in my office. And I remember she threw this big white envelope on my desk. And she said, that's you, Rick Schnabel. And I said, wow, I've been promoted to an envelope. <laughs> and, and she said, no, 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 I've done a story on a thing called life coaching. And you are a natural life coach. And I said, what's life coaching? And she said, well, it's kind of like when you help people on their life path. And she, you know, I said, what's in the envelope? And she said, oh, there's a video, there's introductory information, da, da, da. Now, I can remember, I, I felt really scared. It was almost like I just intuitively knew that I was going to love doing this. So I kept that envelope shut. I didn't even open it. I left it shut for about 18 months until I recall I broke up in a relationship I moved to an apartment, uh, I bought an apartment in South Bank in, uh, near Melbourne. And um, I was opening up these boxes. I just put, this is back in the days of video players. I just put the video player up, the television up and set all that up and opened the next box and there was that envelope. And I thought, 
okay. Opened it up, put the video in, and I watched it. And, I, oh, my God, it did exactly what I thought it was going to do. It, uh, it called me. But I had this program in my head, this belief system in my head that said, how the hell are you going to make what you're making now life coaching? I mean, it's a new industry. You don't know how to do it. You don't know how to make money with it. You know, how are you going to do that? So I went to an introduction night and I can remember I took my best friend with me and because uh, he said, what are you doing tonight? And I said, oh, I'm going to this introduction on life coaching. And he said, I'll come with you. So we sat together and uh, they started telling us all about life coaching. And he, he nudges me and he says, this is awesome. This is us. And, uh, and I was already ready. I had my excuses in my head all planned. And he said, let's do this. I'm going to do this. Let's do it. And I said, Tony, you know, I don't have the time, you know, which is usually excuse number one or number two, actually. And, um, and he said, rubbish. He said, just take annual leave. You know, you've got four weeks annual leave, just like I've got four weeks annual leave. And I went, okay, next excuse, my number one. Tony, I don't have the money. You know, I think it was about seven and a half grand at the time to study and become a, an accredited life coach. And he said, um, he said, you know, that motorbike that you've got, that you keep telling me that you're going to sell one day. He said, how much would you get for that if you sold it? And I said, oh, I don't know, about 16. And he said, there you go. Sell the bike and you get change. And I can remember I put a sign on this motorbike that was the worst for sale sign you've ever seen. And I didn't advertise it anywhere. I, I really self-sabotaged myself enormously, which I didn't even know that what I was doing. Um, and it was Friday, I remember, was um, the final enrollment day. Thursday night, I get a phone call and someone wanted to check out the motorbike. Then I get another phone call while this guy's trying out my motorbike you know, wanting to check out the motorbike. Now I've got two people who want this damn motorbike. So it's sold and we go into the course. Now, the biggest challenge that we usually have is it's kind of like this is where we are and this is where we want to be. And it's kind of like, how do I get there? And some of us think very black and white and I was then thinking very black and white. I have to leave this job in order to create this whole new job. No, you don't. You know, you've got eight hours a day working, eight hours a day sleeping, perhaps. You've also got another eight hours a day to start building your new vision, your new business. So that's what I did. I basically, you know, kept working with my job. That was my cash flow. And then I started building my coaching business on the side. Now, at first, it was very slow. You know, I wasn't doing fantastically. But then I learned neuro-linguistic programming. And I started to play with my beliefs, play with my patterns. And all of a sudden, I started doing very well. And now, I was at the point that I was almost earning as much coaching as I was in my full-time job. So it was an easy transition. So what I suggest is that what you do is, first of all, work out how much money you need just to survive. You know, in truth, a lot of people don't know the answer to that question. 
So I'd start that first. Work out what you need. What you what's your base? What do you need to keep keep yourself going? And then do some tweaks. You know, what can I do without? You know, get your overheads as low as possible to make that transition. And then what you do is start building your vision in in your own time, part time. You know, in the evenings. And, um, you know, I give a model to my students now. I, I still teach online NLP and life coaching these days. And I tell my students that you can build around $50,000 a year, which I, I know for some of you that's not enough, but $50,000 a year just working one hour a week, five days a week for about 50 weeks a year at about $200 per coaching session which is so doable. And so if you, if you need 100 grand, for example, well, then that's half of what you need. And when you hit that half, it's very easy to make up the other half, you know, with the other seven hours a day. And, you know, so work with a model, you know, a model that works and, you know, start fleshing this out, pen and paper, you know, break out the abacus, you know, start punching calculators and work out what you need to do financially. And I think if, if you really want to make that transition, uh, and for me, you know, in truth, I wasn't so happy at News Limited. And, and I just knew what it would be like being a full-time coach. And I remember when I made that transition, I had a clinic, uh, which by the way, I don't recommend if you want to get into coaching these days to have a clinic Keep your overheads low. Do it all on Zoom. We do all our coaching on Zoom now. And, you know, so your overheads are low. But back then I had a clinic and I can remember driving home and it was one of those beautiful, beautiful nights, you know, where the air was warm. I had all the windows down, driving down, thinking I've done it. This is my life. I now help people. And that's what I do full time. I help people. And in that day, I had helped, it wasn't that many clients, but it was about three or four clients that day. And I was buzzing. I was thinking this was the best thing that I've ever done. And uh, I've been doing it ever since, you know. So create a strategy for your transition is what I would suggest. It's possible. It really is. If you think it's impossible, get rid of those beliefs. Shift your thinking until you can make it a reality because you know we do so much in our day which we call work um, I don't call what I do work but I still work three days a week you know usually about eight hours a day and if you're going to do you know something for three days five days however many days make it something that you really love doing and then it's not work it's easy Exactly. You know, I think uh, I've got one more question for you and then we'll open it up for, for any questions uh, to round out the hour. And Rick, it's been really great because you've given people so much um, surety is a good word that, you know, that their mindset is all that they need. But what's the one thing that keeps people stuck where they are and what can you do about it? I, I really think it's an I can't pattern. You know, um, in psychology, they call it a negative inhibitive habit pattern. And, you know, don't say that with too many tequilas, you know. But the thing is, the negative inhibitive habit pattern is basically 
we learn very early in our lives, I can, I can, I can. Like as a kid, you can do anything. You know, yep. you can touch things, you can play with things, and you can do anything, achieve anything. The very first time you're told, don't, you can't, you know, don't touch that, etc. You start getting that with regularity and we start building a negative inhibitive habit pattern, which we go from I can to I can't. The thing that I would be doing mostly is getting rid of all of your can'ts. If, if If I had the power, I would pull that word out of the dictionary. You know, there is no such word as can't. You, there's only do or don't, as Mr. Miyagi used to say. You know, it's either do or don't. There's no such thing as can't. So stop all the can'ts. You know, get them out of your neurology. You know, be, don't, I don't believe in positivity, but I believe in productivity. Be productive. Keep moving yourself forward. And if you can't do something, it's because you're, you don't believe you can do something. And then work with work with a coach, you know, get deep, really get in your neurology, get a coach that actually gets right into your brain and shifts programming. So you move those I can'ts to I can's. And the moment it's an I can, you just get on and you do. You get on and you do at the moment it becomes an I can. Fantastic, uh, fantastic insights. Folks, let's open it up for, for any questions. I'll just change my view here of everybody so I can, uh, I can see you all. If you want to ask Rick a question, just uh, feel free. Just uh, jot up your hand and I'll see you. Cool. While you're thinking of questions, guys, I really hope that I've helped today to you know open up your thinking a bit about what is possible. And if there's something coming up right now that you're thinking, cheapers, how do I do that? How do I do this? Go ahead and ask. So, Philippe. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I have an interesting one. How do you identify your blind, blind spot? By definition, they are hard to get. And assuming you do, how do you handle them? Because they tend to be elusive. Yeah, uh, I think... You know, it's, it's like that old question of you don't know what you don't know until, mm. of course, you know it. And in all honesty, I think most of us are not very good at blind spots whatsoever. I usually think the easiest way for a blind spot is work with your mentor or coach. They're the ones that are really going to see it. And all you have to do is say, this is where I want to be and let them do all the hard work, you know, asking you the questions as to why you're not getting there. But in, in truth, another way that you can actually do it if you don't have a coach is look for your pain points. You know, those points when someone says something or something happens and you feel that, ooh, you know, that, that feeling when you feel bad about yourself or you feel belittled or you shrink or you don't feel as good as you think you might, could be or might be. You know, look for those pain points because, and I would really investigate those pain points. Um, for example, one thing that I find comes up a lot for, you know, clients that, that I've been working with is they will say something like, you know, but Rick, I, I don't think I can do that. 
or I don't think I can do what you do in that space. You know, I'm not as good as you. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I do not want to hear I'm not as good as you. Because the truth is you're as good. If not, you could be better. You know, I'm not that great at things. You know, I'm, I may be lucky. But the thing is, I want to find out when you decided that you weren't as good as or you couldn't do that thing. And nine out of 10, you find yourself working with them when they were nine years old, you know, and, you know, they didn't get that girlfriend or that boyfriend or they didn't get that, you know, toy that they wanted at Christmas or that puppy dog or that this or that. And you find that a lot of who we are today, most of the work that I find as a coach, you're often going back and undoing the programs, you know, where they said, I'm not good enough, or I can't do that, or I'm not smart enough. You know, um, I'm working with a landscaper at the moment. This guy's a smart guy. But, oh, my God, there's so many things. And he wants to be a coach. He wants to sell his landscaping business and he wants to be a coach. And he says to me, he said to me about two sessions ago, he said, you know, I just feel that maybe, you know, I'm finding the information a little bit hard to stick to remember it all. And I said to him, come on, be honest. This is all new information. It's going to take you a while for it to stick. But the only way it's going to stick is when you apply it, when you use it, rather than just trying to remember a book is ridiculous. Remember an activity and a life is easy. So I said, when did you decide you weren't smart enough? And whoo, we go back to boarding school, you know, and he's, he's told that he'll never amount to anything, blah, blah, blah. You know, some of those wonderful teachers that we had. So... I know that's a very long and elongated answer to your question, Philippe, but look for the pain points and look at what makes you feel terrible. And I know we don't like to go there, but boy, there's some gold in them hills or in them valleys. Absolutely, Rick. I think that's fantastic because in our past lies the answers to our futures. And often when people say those things to me, I always say that I just respond back. I go, no, that's not you. That's not who you are. That's what you learned at some stage in your past. That's still in you, but it's not who you are. So let's focus on let's on who you are. Rick, it's been a, a phenomenal um, journey with you this morning. Thanks so much. And this afternoon, your time. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom here. Um, what's the best way for, for you that people can contact you directly if they want to follow through on something? Um, is it to go to the Life Beyond Limits website or your LinkedIn or how? Would you like that? Yeah, probably the, the Life Beyond Limits website is probably the best place. Um, there's, there's a contact section there and you can contact me directly. Um, in the coaching section where our coaches are, you can see my page there. There's even a little little thing where you can book a time to have a chat if you've got any challenges or you, or you want to find out and ask a question or something along that line that's probably the best place well rick's definitely uh, an expert in freedom you're beating me by one day i said to lundy just on the weekend i said next uh, next year i want to get down to three and a half days a week 
and um, and then and then move to the three days probably the year after that. So look forward to me being less available, folks, as I take Rick's advice. Rick, <laughs> thanks so much for your time today, and um, look forward to uh, seeing uh, something. If you ever want to sell a cheap Gibson, well, I've got a good home for them. <laughs> Yeah, I do like my Gibsons. I do like the Gibsons. I, I know you're a you're a SG. No, no, no I'm it's a Les, Les Paul, Paul man. Yeah, I'm Les, Les Paul. Paul. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah, to everybody I'll... else on the call who has no idea what we're talking about, we're now in <laughs> Alien World. So thanks so much for you being all here today, Rick. Thank you. Bye, thank everyone. you so, thank you so much, Mike, and thank you everyone for being here today.